This is episode one of Things Teachers Say. In this episode, I interview Jeff Crawford, passionate grade six teacher and author of Dreamcatcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here. My name is Amy Lee, I'm your host, and I cannot wait to jump into this interview with Jeff Crawford. Before we get into the interview, I want to talk to you about a new tool that I'm using in my classroom that I'm so excited about. It's called What's Going On in This Graph. It's a quick Google. You just type in Google What's Going On in This Graph, and the New York Times website comes up right away. It's the very first one every time. What they've done is they've gone back through old stories, and they've collected a bunch of data and are representing it visually in different ways. So for example, the one I'm looking at right now is from March 20th. It's a Cartesian plane. In purple, there's a legend that says in purple, things are more automatable, and in green, things are less automatable. And then on this Cartesian plane strewn about are a whole bunch of different jobs, it looks like. It says childcare workers, cooks, bartenders, um, chefs, veterinarians. So what you would do is you pull the graph up and you show it to your students. And students are meant to look at the graph and start to make guesses as to what this graph is trying to tell them. The whole idea is that you would ask them first, what do you notice? And then what do you wonder? And then what might be going on in the graph? And when you scroll down, what they've done is given you some information that you can decide if you're going to provide the students early or you can wait until the end, but they've given you some more information about the graph and you sort of reveal the information as you go. I have found that it is such an invaluable tool for critical thinking and showing students where mathematics is used outside of the classroom and where mathematics can be used to communicate in all sorts of different ways. I really love that every single graph is visually very, very different. This is an awesome website. I super, super recommend it. Again, it's called What's Going On in This Graph. It's on the New York Times website. If you love it and you're using it, please let me know in the comments section. I will put the URL in the links so that you can comment and let us all know what's going great for you in your classroom. And with that, Let's get to the interview with Jeff Crawford. Hi Jeff, you are the first guest ever on Things Teachers Say. No pressure, I'm so excited to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Jeff Crawford. I am a teacher living out in Drayton Valley. I currently teach grade six, which I've taught now for 10 years. Um, but I've also spent some time teaching grades three, four, and seven, eight, nine, and a few other ones. So. Grade six is the best. I would teach grade six forever. It's that, it's that age where they'll find you can really have great conversations with the kids, and you're not talking at them, you're talking with them. They're still enthusiastic about being in school. It's, it's the most fun year. Yeah, I agree. I really love getting to see them turn into people as the year it goes is. on. It is fun seeing that, and just you see so much growth throughout the course of the year in grade six. It's, it's amazing. What got you into education? Funny enough, I actually 
never would have been the prime candidate to be a teacher growing up. Um, I was that student that I didn't hate school. I didn't hate teachers, but I had a really hard time with school. I actually grew up with ADHD. Um, one thing that that kind of always stands out to me is when I graduated university, my parents actually, uh, and don't get me wrong, like my parents are very loving people, but they made a comment saying that they thought they'd have a hard time getting me through high school, let alone university. Um, but once I was in university, I started talking with a couple of teachers, looking into the courses, and was trying to find my the direction that I wanted to go with things. And I got a chance to go and volunteer at a couple of schools and see some of what the teachers were doing, and it just it inspired me to keep going down that trend. During that time, I was starting to do a little bit of writing for a, for a specific age group for the younger group too. So I got to chatting with some kids and things, and it really kind of inspired me to want to make a difference that way. Oh, that's fantastic. And what keeps you in education now? The kids, 100%. Um, it, it's, I, I'm definitely much more, I, I enjoy teaching the curriculum, I enjoy teaching the units, but I really enjoy working with the kids each year. It's, it, there's nothing really more rewarding than that. You know, I, I take a lot of pride in being a type of teacher that builds a good relationship with the students and creates a good, comfortable sense and space there, but the one thing that I tend to tell a lot of people is that it doesn't matter how stressed out you are. If you're watching for it, there's always something that the kids are going to do to just crack you up and make you laugh during the day. You just got to be open to it. But I like the idea of working with that age group. And I really, it's such a dynamic working environment. With teaching, there's no static environment about it. You're not stuck behind a desk. You're always up and moving. You're always talking with people. You're always opening the door for communication. It's, it's a fantastic world to be in. Oh, I so agree. <laughs> what, in your opinion, this is kind of a tough question, but they asked it to us in one of my classes, and I could not come up with a succinct answer, so I'd love to ask you. Sure. What is the purpose of education? Oh, that's right? a very encompassing question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, you know what? Education, it's changed so much over the last several years that I don't think there's one definitive answer for what the purpose is anymore. Um, I think the easy answer is to say, you know, it's to help teach kids the skills they need for daily life and you know, <clears throat> help them help them uh, learn the curriculum, help them learn the basic math skills, help them learn how to read and write. Uh, that's the simple answer, but there's so much more to teaching nowadays. You know, as a teacher, we, we sometimes take on a lot more life skill approach. I know a couple of years back, um, we had a we had a very rough group that we were sharing a, a class with. Our, our school actually closed down um, because of structural problems. Oh wow! Um, but but before that happened, I was told at twelve o'clock on the last day uh, that I had my classroom that I was going to be out of my classroom by the end of the day. And so we had to cram sixty grade six students all into the library for the remainder of the year. So we had spent about eight months, seven eight months all crowded in one library and it was uh it was it was incredibly stressful um but that year so many of the kids were bringing other outside issues with them every single day to to school that i I really started to even take more um take more of notice that that with teaching there's so much we do outside of the actual curriculum as well you know helping kids learn how to interact with each other help them learn how to deal with stresses help them how to learn how to 
try to make environments positive, even if they're bringing negative home life or negative outside influences with them. Mm-hmm. So for teaching, it's uh, teaching really, it's an all-encompassing thing, right? Education is, it's not just about curriculum. It's not just about social skills. It's not just about raising a healthy awareness of the community and the environment. It's everything. What a beautiful answer. Thank you so much. I would love to know what you're reading right now. During the school year, I tend to read a lot of Harry Potter because I do a novel study with the kids. Beautiful. Um, it's, oh, it's the greatest novel study to do with these guys. Yes. We can get into that a little bit later. I can talk about that for, for years. Over the summertime, I go almost the opposite way. I read a lot of Stephen King. He's, uh, he actually is my favorite author. Uh, right now I'm reading Nosferatu by his son, Joe Hill, because there's a TV series out there. And also starting to read a book called The Collector, because one of my grade six students gave it to me as a homework assignment. And apparently she's got a whole list of novel study questions she created for me to do over the summer. So. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, I thought I'd give it a try. <laughs> I like that a lot. What do you love about Harry Potter so much for your novel study? You know, one of the big things I find with Harry Potter is so many stories tend to focus on a lot of the negative about kids going to school, not wanting to be there. Uh, And Harry Potter definitely has some of that, but it's one of the few series I find out there that really encourages a love of going to school, actually. Um, You know, with the the dynamic of the relationships that are there, how the teachers help them through, how the kids have to figure out the problem. It's just such an open and imaginative world that it's, I find it's a, it's an easy read to get the kids motivated in. I, um, when I'm working on teaching with the kids, one of the things, like we do it as a read aloud because I, I'm not afraid to make, uh, to embarrass myself in front of the class. So I try and do little voices and things like that and, mm-hmm. you know, help the kids learn to read with emotion and, Usually at the beginning, I'll ask how many kids are excited for it and who's not excited. And you always get a couple of hands that go up saying that, you know, they're not really into that sort of magical world and things like that. And by the end, most of them have already started reading the second book by the time we're done. It's it's just such an easy book to draw kids in with how immense that world is. Oh, that's the best when they start reading the sequel. Oh, I love it. And we end up reading the sequel in class again because they usually ask if I read it just as a read aloud. it's pretty good. I, my classroom ends up being Harry Potter's themed. Like we do house points every year, so the kids are all sorted into house groups at the beginning of the year. And the winning house group at the end of the year gets a bit of an extra party and things. And we, uh, we make it a full thing. We have a lot of fun. I love that. What house are you in? I am a Gryffindor. I've always been a Gryffindor. Every test I've taken seems to always throw me in that same one, so I, I've come to accept it. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> they tell me I'm a Ravenclaw. Uh, Ravenclaw is not a bad one. My wife used to want to be a Ravenclaw, <laughs> and then Hufflepuff Pride finally took over. <laughs> She's accepted being a Hufflepuff now, so. <laughs> it is funny, though, how uh, the one area that I find in, in the books and the movies that is interesting and a little bit more negative, however, is I, I do find it kind of a funny how they do pick on the Slytherins a lot. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, uh... They, they seem to always think that Slytherin, that every Slytherin kid is bad, and so that tends to come into the school a little bit, which always makes for some fun conversations. Yeah, for sure. We had a really interesting discussion on the fact that a lot of media nowadays uh, really has adults very negative, or the adults in the shows are always sort of dumb characters or that the children can't trust and in every show the children have to overcome something silly the adults have done and that was really interesting to me 
Yeah, and they do. And, you know, even Harry Potter has that. But with the adults in that series, there is a lot of a sense of working together, right? I mean, characters like Professor McGonagall, she's, uh, she's not the most fun character in the world, but she is very pragmatic and incredibly helpful. Even when you look at, in the very end, what they do with, uh, with Professor Snape. Yes. Um, you know, he's supposed to be this negative character. He's a bully character. He's a character that the students don't like, but in the end, even as, as early as the first book, his role is so dynamic in the story and what he actually does to help the students as it starts to come out. You know, you gain a much stronger appreciation for that. Actually, I think the uh, uh, of all the characters in the book, the one that I find the the one that I find gets the strangest reputation of being the most helpful, even though I love the character, is it, actually Dumbledore. And I was explaining to the kids at one point. It just kind of caught on my uh, on my radar when I was reading it this year to them that you know it's funny. The very first time you meet Dumbledore, really in the book, he's holding Harry as a baby. And he's bringing him to a house that he knows nothing about, dropping him off at this house with this family to do what's best for him, and basically tells McGonagall, well, let's put him on the doorstep and then let's go party. And they take off to go during the festivals of Voldemort being taken down. And huh. I just find that such a strange, uh, a strange dynamic for that character. And there's a lot of those kind of moments where I, where I find I actually question him more than anybody else. But, I mean, in the end, of course, you know, he knows what he's trying to do and what he's trying to set Harry up for, so he's a, he's a little wiser than me. Wow. I've never thought of that. Yeah, it's funny how you can put that spin on a lot of those characters. Yeah, I like that her characters all have a flaw or a... Even if they're the hero character, there's some sort of very large flaw in their character. Oh, they do. Well, in, in any good writing, we'll tell you that the, uh, the most interesting characters are the ones that aren't afraid to show their flaws. Well, I could talk about Harry Potter all day. <laughs> I, I could spend a long time on that. Fabulous. I'll come back to that down the road if need be. I've got actually, uh, I've recently become a little bit obsessed with Funko Pops. One of my students got me a Hagrid Funko Pop a couple of years ago. Oh, yes. And I thought that that would be, uh, you know, a one-time thing. And then I thought it was kind of cute. So I looked at Harry Potter ones, and now I've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 Funko Pops, I think, on my shelves at home. Oh, wow. Yeah, our whole uh, our whole living room, my wife is actually a big Harry Potter fan, too. And my stepfather, as a, a surprise gift, made me a leather sorting hat. We've got the sort of Gryffindor on the wall. It's, uh, it's gotten all-encompassing a little bit to the point. I mean, there's, there's worse addictions to have by far, but it, uh, it's definitely become a costly one. That's funny. I'm sitting in a room surrounded by Lego Star Wars, so I totally nice. get it. <laughs> oh, we, uh, I couldn't help it. I was up at 6 in the morning the day they released the Lego Hogwarts Castle. Oh, yes. It was uh, $500 over 6,000 pieces, but well worth it. It's, uh, the only problem is we can't really display it just yet because our cat has decided she has an affinity for Lego pieces and she likes to take them and go hide them. Oh, no. <laughs> That's so we've got it locked in a room at the moment so I can get a display that's big enough where it'll uh, keep her from her little thieving ways. All right. I have a few sort of quick questions. What is the funniest thing a student has ever said to you? Uh, you know what? The funniest thing still to me always goes back to one day. This uh, it, was, it was one of my first years teaching grade six, and a student was asking. This, we, got in the, we always do the topic about weekends and I always ask the kids on Mondays what they did on their weekend things and uh, one kid looked at me and we were just walking around outside so we were taking a quick break and he said Miss Crawford what do you do on the weekends and I just kind of looked over and said well what do you think I do on the weekend and he thought about it looked me right in the face and 
with 100% seriousness said, I bet you go out and party with a lot of chicks. <laughs> and that still cracks me up. I actually ran into him not too long ago. He's graduated now, and I brought that up, and we shared a good laugh about that one. So. <laughs> That's it cute. Was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty candid and pretty funny. <laughs> I like that. What is the funniest thing you have ever had to say that's ever come out of your mouth? Oh, I don't even actually remember the context. And it's funny because it sounds like it should be related to the maturation and human sexuality unit. Mm -hmm. But at one point, uh, when I do spelling lists with the kids, I actually start the year by uh, doing a 50-word spelling list for them to kind of check their grade level. But I turn it into a story as I'm working through it. And one year it ended up somehow the idea of a baby making factory got thrown into it. And while I was doing the story, one of the kids came up and ended up drawing pictures on the board of this factory, basically just producing babies. And the whole thing ended up, I've, I've never had a class crack up for as long as we did over that. I was in tears at the front of the <laughs> What is your favorite thing to do with your class? Uh, beyond the Harry Potter novel study. Um, you know what? One of my favorites is, and I actually love writing with the kids. Uh, marking writing is horrible. It is the absolute worst. Yeah, I don't um, know how you do that. Over the last couple of years, though, I started trying to question why we have so many reluctant writers in our schools, especially when it comes to some of the boys. And one of the theories that I started to create was that as teachers, we have a tendency to focus our writing on teaching the practical skills first, right? We want to teach them sentence structure. We want to teach them paragraphing. We want to teach them grammar. We want to teach them spelling. We want to go through all of that. And once we've started drilling them with all of these basic ideas that and essentially practice drill, then we turn around and tell the kids, all right, now you should have fun writing. Um, for me, I've started to reverse the trend a little bit where I try to inspire them to have fun with writing first and then as we start to teach the practical skills that goes into it. And as part of that project now, we've started working on a lot more story writing with a, with a beginning idea in mind where we actually self-publish as a class. And not just in the, like, you know, you go to the workroom and laminate your stories and get the copy kind of deal, but uh, we've used... Um, Lulu.com and made them available. They've got their own ISBN numbers so the stories can get out. The kids can learn how to self-publish their own writing. So it, it just gives a lot more meaning and a lot more depth to their writing. And it also it's a lot easier to inspire kids to want to write a good story and craft a good story when they've got an end goal in mind that's not just marks on a page. Okay. Now I think one of the things we're going to be focusing on a little bit more is now trying to get them working through the Amazon system. Wow, that's amazing. It's had some good results. It's definitely, it, it's been a lot of fun. I even managed to get, uh, we got one girl that, she was an ESL student. She actually came over her whole family, came from Korea. And she was very, like, she struggled a lot, for obvious reasons, in her writing, because she was just learning English, at, even at, in grade six, and that's a tough age to just learn. Um, but she wrote an entire story in Korean, and so we managed to get that into our book. And that's probably still the most talked about one. Like, I mean, I could Google Translate it and help her translate it as well, but it was kind of neat seeing a story in her language in one of our books. That is so cool. I really love that you do that. It's it, it's a lot of fun. It's, I've had students from past years uh, send me some manuscripts and ask me if I can take a look because they're going to now start self-publishing some other stuff. And it's definitely opened my eyes. It's pretty inspiring. That's amazing. 
Well, that leads us into our next question. How do you define success for yourself as a teacher? Uh, I actually, you know what, it's a really simple answer for me on that one. I feel success begins with kids wanting to be there. And it's got the kids where they're coming to school every day and they're excited to see you in the morning and I wake up excited to go to work, then my classroom's already building a foundation of success. I mean, the academics come into it, but, you know, for me, it's the first thing you have to do as a teacher is you have to have an environment that the students want to be, want, that the students want to be in and want to learn in. And if, if they're ready to come in there and they want to come and say hi to you and tell you stories in the morning, then you're already finding that success. And then at the end of the day, for me, it's, it doesn't matter how the day's gone, every student is, is welcome to, to have a high five at the end of the day before they leave, any student in the school, really. So I've got a good train of students that, it's funny, I thought it was just kind of fun at first, but the amount of students that I have come up to me waiting for me to get to the hallway, even from other classes and other grades. I teach at a middle school right now. It's uh, grades five to eight. And even with grade eight students, I've had some of them wait for me and come and find me or come and get mad at me if they miss their high five. And Aww. it's funny how those little things really connect with the student. And once you've got that connection, then you're already on, your, on the road to success as a teacher, I think. Oh, yeah. You can't see right now, but I'm smiling like a doofus because I love that so much. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, it's just as important to me because it, it sends the kids and it sends me out on a positive note. No matter how bad the day is, everyone deserves a high five at the end of the day. Yes, absolutely. If you were going to give advice to yourself or a student teacher uh, yourself when you were younger or a younger teacher, what advice would you give them right off the bat? Uh, help as your friend and go home. Um, you know, I, uh, I came from a family of, of do-it-yourself people. And a lot of that, you know, we get ingrained that we have to learn to take on all these responsibilities on our own and we've got to work on our own schedule. And, and I still suffer from that a fair bit. Um, but my first year of teaching, the first thing that, that I had a couple teachers actually do for me was they saw me kind of sitting and crowning away in my classroom until eight, nine o'clock every night. And they started approaching me to come and talk to me at the end of every day. And I had one teacher that would actually give me a time limit and then she would send me home. I called her my Drayton Valley mom for a little while. She's just recently retired, but um, just connecting with the other teachers and talking with the other teachers is huge. Um, there's so many different levels of experience out there and so many different levels of expertise out there that it's amazing what you can come up with just by talking with the other teachers and working with them. Um, so one of my big things would be, you know, along those lines and just, I, I used to spend my first year teaching. I would spend, I would be in my class until eight o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, so many nights. Yeah. Um, it, it does take a few years before you finally realize that the work's going to be there in the morning. Not everything is important. You still have to take care of yourself as well. I know teaching has, one of the highest burnout rates for any profession in the first five years of the job. But a lot of the focus on the mental health of the kids and a lot of focus on their on their world and forego our own world too often. And I think that's something that, that beginning teachers need to learn at an early age as they're starting to get into it. Yeah, there was a lot of discussion on, I hear a lot of, well, what's best for the kids? And I get that and I think that's wonderful. But also sometimes what's best for the kids is us not burning out. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, and a hundred percent. You can tell when a teacher's had a rough day, right? And, and a lot of it's honesty too. Yeah. I'm very honest with my class. If I didn't get a lot of sleep at night or if I'm feeling a little bit grumpy, I'll tell the kids first thing in the morning. And it's funny how many, how often when you tell the kids something like that, how often they start looking out for you. Yeah. Right? And they want to start looking out. They want to make you laugh. They want to have a good day too. And it, it really is, a, it, it's today more than ever, the classroom is a team community. Uh, is there any piece of technology or a planner or something that you cannot live without in your classroom? You know, I used to be big on the smart board. Uh, that was huge. I remember I, I got lucky enough to have a smart board in my class right from my first year of teaching. And then I had to go through a year using an old school projector and I could never do that again. But um, I think nowadays with the way technology is going, though, it's so much learning is based on throwing technology at the kids as well. So like, we have our Chromebooks in the classroom. I know not every school is lucky enough to have them, but I, I would say right now Google Classroom and the Chromebook is the biggest thing for me. It's, it's made life so much easier for the kids getting their work done, their editing done, to keep track of everything and not lose it. Um, you know, it, it's clearly environmentally it, a lot more friendly. There's a lot less paper being thrown around. But at the same time, I'm actually starting to try to find ways to almost go the opposite in a way. Mm-hmm. And I find we put so much focus on bringing new and innovative uses of technology that we're almost focusing too much on that and taking away some of the social and the non-technological aspects as well. And so I'm starting to kind of work on finding a good balance between them. What are you excited about right now? I am currently hearing, waiting to hear back from an agent on a new book that I wrote. Um, I've been working on a book called Hauntings now. I've had the idea in my head for years, and I had an agent look at it, gave me some great advice, and she said at some point during June and July she'll get back to me on whether or not she's going to accept it. And the agent is uh, fantastic. It's Victoria Salvaggio from Storm Literacy. And even if they say no to it, the amount of feedback that I've gotten with her is really, it's really pushed my writing and wanted me to keep going and pursue it too. So I'm, I'm working towards that. I'm, I'm working over the summer as well. On While I'm waiting for that, I'm writing the sequel to Dream Shaper, so my first novel. So really, a lot of it's just that. I'm excited to get through some writing. I took a couple of easy days right now at the end of the school year, and now I'm going to be sitting down with a cup of coffee in the morning and starting to finally focus on my work instead of the work. So I've pulled up Dream Shaper here. What inspired you to write this one? <clears throat> Dream Shaper actually started as a dream. Um, as a kid, I used to get this reoccurring dream where I would be sitting in my bedroom, fast asleep, and I would wake up to the sound of something scratching at my bedroom door, which is actually ended up being the first sentence of the book, Orson Bailey was awakened sometime after midnight by the sound of something scratching at the bedroom door. Um, and this creature would come bursting into my room, and I would somehow find a way in my dream to stop it, to basically freeze it in its tracks float up over its head and down a hallway, and I always found this laundry chute that I would float down. So I'd go down the laundry chute, trying to get away from this thing. It would come and find me, start ripping at the door again, and just when it seemed like it, would, it was about to catch me, I would wake up. And then I would go really thirsty and use the bathroom to wake up to grab a drink of water and open my bedroom door, and the creature would be there again, and then I'd wake up for real. And so I used to have that dream quite often as a kid. And one day I just, as a young adult, when I was in college, 
um, we were trying to look for ideas that inspired us as a story, and that idea came back into my head, and I wrote it down, and I put it in the first chapter of a book. It's wonderful. It looks great. And I'm going to ask you again to talk about your uh, student doing the cover art. Well, she was, um, she had a couple of personal issues that I've been helping her deal with. I'm not going to go into too many details, of yeah. course. Um, but a few years after that, she had already left her school. And her mom got touch with me and asked if she could come and stop by because they were trying to find people that she could establish a connection. And she mentioned that when she was in grade six, she had developed a real trust for me as a teacher and and missed a bit of that connection and thought that that would be a good one. And at one point, I got the rights back to Dream Shaper. And while I was working on the new Hauntings book, I had Dream Shaper just sitting there on the shelf and not doing anything with it at that moment. And so I got in touch and just said, well, why don't you draw me a cover? And I'll I'll pay you for the cover. We've... uh, we worked on negotiating skills and things like that. She was going to try to charge me about $20. Oh. And, I told, and I told her, I said, no. And she said, well, I, I wanted to, I'm doing it like to say thank you. She said, no, that's not how this works. This is now a business thing. Yeah. Said, so we're going to start at $50. That's where we're going to start the conversation. And then you're going to talk me up. <laughs> so we worked a little bit on that. And, you know, she, uh, she sent me the work and some of the preview work for it. And it was amazing. Like I said, it's the... Uh, uh, you can still find the old copy or the old cover of Dream Shaper, which was basically a, a red hallway. It was an old prison hallway that was altered to, so you can't recognize the prison and you can change the coloring so it suits the hallway. But as soon as she put the characters down, it, it blew me out of the water. It, uh, her work won a cover wars, uh, award for a month, and so I got some free publicity and she got some free publicity for that. It, it's such a fun process. I almost feel like I'm getting a good lesson in being an agent or a medium and, you know, helping her learn how to value her and, and to really take stock in the stuff that she's doing because the artwork she is producing is incredible. That's amazing. I can tell you really care about your students, and I love that. They, uh, they you know, I always tell people teaching is not a career, it's a lifestyle. It, it, the kids are everything. That's what makes the class. It, it's, I, I just get to be a piece that's there. That's so true. All right. Well, that is all my questions. Thank you so very, very much for answering them all and doing it so beautifully. Well, thank you very much for (laughs) including me in this. I look forward to hearing the interview and more of the interviews coming up from you. I appreciate the experience. It's a fun way to wake up in the morning. That was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really, really appreciated you taking the time to talk to us about all the reading and writing that you're doing in your classroom. And I hope that the listeners got lots of ideas. I know that I definitely did. I wrote lots of things down that I'm going to try in my classroom. You can find Jeff's book at amazon.com or amazon.ca. If you Google Jeff Crawford and Dream Shaper, you will find the book. It has the most beautiful cover. So take a peek at that. Of course, I will be posting links to the book and to all of Jeff's social media in the show notes. You can find those at teachwithamylee.wordpress.com. I promise I'm working on a better website address, but for now, that's what we have. teachwithamylee.wordpress.com. While you're there, leave a comment about your main takeaway from this episode. For me, it was all about building relationships with students 
and some really innovative writing ideas and getting students into doing things like publishing. What a great idea. As we close out the show, I want to say thank you so much for listening to Things Teachers Say with me, Amy Lee. The music for the show was provided by bensound.com, and you can find show notes at teachwithamylee.wordpress.com. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you next time.